Rewind. Your Week in Review is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association. Bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate. This program is brought to you from Wisconsin Eyes Margaret Farrow Studio. This week on Rewind, your week in review. A series of legislative maps have been submitted to the state's high court. Coming up, we break down what you need to know. Plus, a heated debate on the assembly floor. Lawmakers butt heads over a bill to give parents more control over their kids' education. And has the effort to impeach the state's top election official reached a dead end? All that and more for Rewind, your week in review for January 19th. Hi, I'm Emily Fannin. And I'm J.R. Ross. We're going to start with your favorite topic, J.R. <laughs> and of course, that is redistricting because it was late last Friday. We had seven maps and middles. So let's kind of go through all of them. So the state's high court is now weighing six after one of those submissions by a UWM professor was already tossed out by the state's high court. So overall, we're still talking about seven of these maps. Five of the pro proposed maps would see Democratic gains in the legislature, while the other two proposals submitted by conservatives maintain a significant Republican majority. So, of course, that is the top headline that most of us reported on. Um, but first, before we get into the ins and outs of all these different maps, we've talked about this on the show before, is that regardless of likely whatever map either the court picks or if some reason the legislature and the governor agreed to one, um, we know that Republicans will likely take this challenge to the U.S. Supreme Court. And we got a little insight on when Assembly Speaker Robin Voss might do that and kind of what he's waiting for. So let's take a listen from that, and then we'll kind of break down uh, each of these submissions. There is only one map that has met the muster of the U.S. Supreme Court's test and the state Supreme Court's test, and that's the one that we proposed. Uh, we took into account the small issue that was used as a Trojan horse to look at the entire map, and that's the contiguity issue. We can move 3,000 people, fix the problem. I think in the Senate it's like five, 600 people, so a very small remedy to address what they say is this major constitutional question of uh, contiguity. Uh, the rest is all politics. Our goal is to not rush to the U.S. Supreme Court. We want to try to have a map that actually meets the Constitution, not the partisan nature of the Constitution uh, and the way that they're interpreting it. So a majority of these would give Democrats a little bit more edge in the legislature. Mm -hmm. um, but they each are a little bit more unique. Some of them are a little wild, I would say. So let's kind of break them down here, JR. So, all right, let's start from the most Republican to the Democratic ones. So Republican lawmakers, all they basically do is address the non-contiguous territory issue the Supreme Court raised. Basically, everybody stays put. The partisan difference has not really changed. It just absorbs these municipal islands into existing districts to take care of the issue. Okay, That's a long shot to the Supreme Court to take it because the court has said we want to consider partisan balance. They didn't do that, that, court, that map. The Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, a conservative law firm, also part of the case, proposed a little bit less Republican map. They feel like they addressed all of the contiguity claims in the court, the compactness, all these things. Still, though, I think in the assembly, for example, you'd get 60 seats in a typical election, 60 GOP seats. That's not quite partisan balance. So now you go through the other four. Uh, there's a group of professors from Dan Milwaukee counties. There's Governor Evers. There's Law Ford, law firm that sued successfully to overturn the maps. There's Senate Democrats. What I really looked for was the pairs. There are all kinds of interesting pairs in these maps, which what I mean by that is that two incumbents in one district. 
So looking at the, let's, let's take the, the five maps that propose changes, okay? So put aside the one that's tossed out. All five proposed changes would pair Rob Coles and Eric Wimberger, two Republicans in Green Bay, the same Senate district. Um, three of those, I believe, or four, would add Andre Jacques in the same Senate district. You'd have a three-way primary in that seat. All the maps proposed changes would pair Tom Mikulski, a Republican from suburban Milwaukee, with Robin Vining, a Democrat from Wauwatosa in the same assembly district. For uh, Donna Rosar and John Spiros, both from Marshfield, they'd also be in the same seat, and all the maps proposed changes. Why is that significant? It tells you that there are a couple of things in these maps that, okay, there's going to be some mergers here. Assuming the court picks a map, right. there's ones that are obvious mergers going to happen. Um, what I'm watching for now is all the parties have a deadline next week, file a response brief to talk about what's going on. Then the consultants, February 1st, have a report due to kind of um, basically assess these maps, mm-hmm. which ones most closely fit the court's criteria. They can also ask for changes or suggest changes to the parties. And they could also say, you know what, all these maps stink, we're going to draw our own map. I don't know they're going to go that route, right. but mm-hmm. that's a possibility. A couple other kind of unique things. So Governor Evers with his maps, um, I talked to him a few weeks ago, these uh, kind of 2024 interviews he did. He said his map was going to make sure there's no voting rights issue. Yep, said the same, same thing to me. <laughs> so go back to 2022. Governor Evers tried to draw a seventh majority black district in the assembly. The court in Wisconsin initially picked his map. But the U.S. Supreme Court said, no, you use race as a factor for drawing your lines. The map Governor Evers proposed to the state Supreme Court doesn't touch a single minority district in Milwaukee. There are six assembly districts that are majority black and two that have Hispanics who represent right now. Doesn't touch any of those or the districts of Latanya Johnson and Lena Taylor, both black lawmakers and two Senate districts. A couple reasons for that. One, He's trying to avoid the U.S. Supreme Court's attention, give right. them no reason to come in and mm-hmm. get into this. Two, politically, several black lawmakers and Hispanic lawmakers during the whole round last time said, the governor's maps are not good for us. You are diluting black influence in our districts. We're not happy. Lakeisha Myers, for example, tore in the governor right, on the floor about this. A lot of backlash. During the debate about this Robin Voss's bill to go to a nonpartisan body, she brought up that issue again. They're trying not to upset these folks, saying we are cognizant of your uh, concerns. The thing I took away from the maps was we talked before about the Senate maps. It's pretty easy to draw a 50-50 Senate map. The assembly seemed harder, barring some kind of interesting stuff. They actually got to a 50-50 map with the governor, law forward, the professors, without really like, you know, pie-shaped districts coming out of Madison, stuff like that. Now, they were creative at times. Um, they definitely drew a map to their partisan advantage, but it isn't some like crazy squiggly line type districts. Another interesting thing that they did, um, Rachel Cabral Cavera up in the Fox Valley. So her district, kind of swingy, but she won an election just 2022. It's not up on 2024. So what they did was they kept her in the 19th Senate district, which is an odd number district, not up this year, but created a new open, even number district that runs from Appleton through Nina and Nasha and down to Oshkosh. Creates a new open seat that puts it on the ballot this fall versus missing on challenging her uh, this year. So it's, they did things like that to create an opportunity. Now, there's no guarantee Democrats would win majorities with these districts. There's a path for these maps, right. a path. It depends on top of the ticket performance, uh, incumbency, the quality of the candidate, money, all kinds of other things. But 
these are maps, there's an opportunity for Democrats to win majorities from the, the Democratic leaning ones. From uh, law, or sorry, Will, the Republican lawmakers, there's no shot. There's no path to winning a majority, barring a crazy plus 20 type Democratic top of the ticket performance. Right. And all of these maps uh, come as we saw another mm -hmm. redistricting challenge. Right here, we're talking about the legislative maps. Now we're seeing the congressional maps being challenged. So that was filed earlier this week by Democratic voters. We're asking the state Supreme Court to redraw the congressional maps ahead of the 2024 elections. And citing what they cited in their ruling last month, and this comes after they struck down the legislative maps. The petition that was filed Wednesday argues that a ruling from the court back in 2021 was wrong to say that the maps that were drawn that year should have the least change approach from the maps that were drawn a decade earlier. Least change approach, Jarrah, we hear this quite a lot here, but this is a completely different challenge compared to what we were just talking about. So the big difference is the challenge for legislative maps said there's a constitutional problem. There is non-contiguous territory that makes these maps unconstitutional. There is no constitutional challenge in this lawsuit, period. I read the entire thing. It's all about the foundation for the maps that you put in place in 2021, before they were drawn in 2022, is now gone. Therefore, you should redraw these maps. That's problem number one. Problem number two is it's mid-January. They just filed this now. The lawsuit that was filed to challenge legislative maps was filed August 2nd. It took the court until October 6th to actually take the case. Now, there's something different here. That was a new lawsuit that was filed outside of MAPS. This congressional challenge is asking to reopen a case and basically give them a shot. So you're also saying we can have MAPS in place for 2024, which is interesting because the Elections Commission wants a new MAP for the legislature in place by March 15th. You can start circling nomination papers mid-April. So these guys are saying just add us onto that process and we'll draw new MAPS. I've talked to people this week that there are a whole lot of problems with lawsuit because of the compressed timeline, and there's not a constitutional challenge unlike the other lawsuit. Now, if you look at the pol political piece of all this, right, the state Supreme Court's being accused by Republicans of being totally partisan, like don't care about the law, they'll do whatever they, they do, whatever they want to like reach their means. Let's back up for a second. If the court were to sit on this federal challenge or this challenge the congressional maps or not take it up, would that kind of undercut that argument that they're going to do anything they want to do regardless of the law? Would it make the court like, no, we, we have guardrails. There has to be something in the law that we use to challenge these maps. There's not a foundation there. Now, I always caution, I'm not a lawyer, not going to what judges are going to do. Maybe they take the case. But if they sit on it, don't do anything with it or reject it, people I talk to wouldn't be surprised because it would, again, one, there are problems with the filing, but two, make that court seem more reasonable to its critics about how it's approaching redistricting. And we've also brought up this before. You don't want to, in a sense, shove so many issues down the state Supreme Court's throat because possibly it could backfire, right? We have another state Supreme Court election next year. Um, they already have a lot of issues that are going to be headed there or already there right now. We know redistricting. We know abortion. Likely some election lawsuits post-2024. Who knows? So it's almost, in a sense, maybe we'll see if they even touch it. You don't want, if you're a Democrat redistricting, you don't want the U.S. Supreme Court's attention. If you have a challenge congressional maps, you're going to get their attention oh, yeah. big mm -hmm. time. Yep. So that's another thing that Democrats are like, you know, maybe this is not the smartest move for us if we're focused on legislative maps right now.
All right, now let's shift because the Assembly and Senate were in session this week, their first time coming back in the new year, and there was a host of bills. A lot of them bipartisan, but we're also going to highlight some of the big ones here. Let's first start with the Senate. They passed that $3 billion tax cut that we've talked about before that would target the third highest income tax bracket, and it would also give a tax break on retirement income. Governor Evers has already vowed to veto that, but we will likely see a renewed effort for a tax cut, which Lemahieu talked about last week with reporters sometime in the next few weeks. Um, also a host of election bills in the Senate. We're going to highlight two of them. One of them will outline in state law what's required on an absentee ballot. We've talked about this before because there's no definition of what an address is. So we've seen some similar efforts even brought forth by Democrats to make that clear, but this was a Republican bill that passed. Um, another bill would allow election observers to be a little bit closer to the activities at the poll. And one was a little uh, bipartisanship that it was called uh, the naked bike ride restrictions. This comes in lieu after there was reports um, that a 10-year-old in Madison participated in this. It actually made some national news. Um, there was one Democrat that voted with Senate Republicans on this measure. Now let's go over to the Assembly. There was a slew of licensing bills. Some we want to highlight include one that would require DSPS to grant preliminary licenses to applicants who have met all the requirements to get a health care credential. There was also more uh, DSPS bills passed on Thursday. And then I would say probably the most controversial um, uh, was the Parental Bill of Rights. This was passed by Assembly Republicans on Thursday as well that would give parents more authority over their child's education. The floor debate on this was set for two hours. It almost went that long. And uh, Democrats and Republicans really butted head. And specifically, tossing to this next video, um, the argument on the floor was there was some Democrats that believed, uh, you know, parents knows or uh, teachers know best when Republicans, you know, argued parents should know best of when it comes to their child's education. So let's just take a listen to some of those arguments. I know some of us don't like this phrase, but it does take a village to raise a child. And I am so glad for the village of teachers and other parents, many of whom I didn't agree with, standing around my children because. Oh, I'm sorry, people. I was wrong. We have this mantra that I hear from across the aisle all the time that parents know best. That's wrong. I was wrong. To say that I don't know best is offensive and it is a lie from the pit of hell. And I don't ever want to hear from anyone that parents don't know best. Do we have parents that make mistakes? Do we have parents that are on drugs? Do we have parents that do wrong things? We have that all over society. But to take away the rights of the parent is absolutely wrong. So you heard some of the passionate speeches on that topic. Uh, looking ahead to next week, we know the assembly is going to be on Thursday. Um, Senate's still unclear if they're going to have another session day. Um, but one thing I will point out is what's going to be interesting to watch is that uh, tax cut, because we heard from Lemahieu they, they passed this this week, even though Lemahieu told reporters that they're trying to rework another tax proposal. He's working with Senator Howard Markline to target specifically the middle class, and we know that is, he hopes, to appease Governor Tony Evers. All right, let's move on to some election news, which also happened last uh, week, uh, which comes after a Dane County judge ruled that the state's top election official, that is Megan Wolf, she is legally holding her position, and that the commission who appoints her is under no obligation to elect a new leader. And this comes months after legislative leaders claimed that the court, um, that their vote to fire Wolf was merely symbolic. So this ruling, in a sense, wasn't a big surprise, JR. Um, but this comes as there are still a group of Republicans 
who would like to impeach Megan Wolf. And that effort is still sitting there. We saw Representative Janelle Branchin try to shout and get, um, uh, a, get a call to order. She was ignored to try to bring forth this impeachment, which is still sitting in committee right now. And, you know, fair to say, is this impeachment effort completely over? We heard from Speaker Voss that, you know, he doesn't really want to touch this anymore. Um, but I think it does make it a little interesting dynamic, given that now this court case is over, you know, what, where do some lawmakers go from here? I think the drive to get this done, or drive to push this, um, there's a, they're a little bit more energized to do it. But, you know, even we heard from leadership this week that they're not going to bring it to the floor. Well, will Republicans appeal that uh, Dane County judge's ruling, especially the liberal state Supreme Court? I don't know if they're going to get a, a receptive audience up there. Um, so there's that question. With the impeachment thing, there's kind of an interesting development that David Steffen, Green Bay Republican, who chairs the committee where Robin Voss sent this resolution, is now a co-author. Even though David sent Janelle Branchin a letter a couple weeks ago basically telling her, you shouldn't expect any hand-holding, quote-unquote, when it comes to legislative process. You know how it works. You come talk to the chair, talk to them about you want to get your bill done. You've done nothing like that. So all of a sudden now he co-authors it. Kind of curious what that all means. He's I'm not saying. I'm wondering if it had something to do with the court case. I mean, His office yeah. won't say what's going on. Right. But this drama about Branchin and the impeachment resolution, you saw Tyler August, the leader, basically say that she was grifting on this issue. Um, I don't know they have the votes to impeach her. Uh, if Janelle could get them, they keep saying they'll take the floor, but she hasn't proven they got 50 votes yet. So is she really working to get the support of 50 of her colleagues, or is this all theater? to drive attention about this. Oh, by the way, when there's a recall after he's Robin Voss, in part about impeaching Megan Wolf and his refusal to put it to the floor and for a vote. And when I asked uh, Robin during the sit-downs that many of us reporters had towards the end of the year, I said, on a scale of one to 10, how likely is it that you would impeach Megan Wolf? His answer was one. So he's clearly not on board. But I mean, if, if by any means Janelle gets more Republicans on board, we can maybe see it advance, so it's not completely dead quite yet. All right, let's go on to topic five this week, and that is another commissioner that was rejected by the Senate on Tuesday, and who I'm talking about is Tyler Huber, who is, uh, was um, the commissioner of the Public Service Commission. It is now the 10th executive branch appointment Republicans have shot down since Governor Evers took office five years ago. But shortly after the vote, Evers appointed someone else as commissioner too, so it almost seems like he always has this backup plan, but it does speak volumes to how many uh, that they have rejected over the years. Well, look, the writing's been on the wall for Tyler for a while. Go back to a public hearing that was had about his nomination a couple months ago. Republicans were asking about things like the PSE collecting data that they thought was inappropriate about uh, basically racial data on folks. They had an issue with that. The PSC is kind of toyed with the idea of income-based rates. That's problematic for Republicans. So also, the governor was coming because, go back last week, Rebecca Valk, who is the chairwoman of the PSC. She's leaving in February. The governor made Summer Strand. He just put the PSC back in March. The chair, not Tyler, he knew this was coming. Uh, the, the signs were there. So, you know, look, Republicans continue to say, we are being a check. And the governor keeps saying, you guys are actually being basically uh, a roadblock to government working. The most interesting thing was Brad Paff, the Democrat who is member of the Senate, used to be the DATCAP secretary. He had kind of an interesting take on this whole thing. And you just, look at you, you're <laughs> queuing up the videos now because that was just what I was going to mention. Let's hear from Senator Paff on this because this happened to him as Ag Secretary. So he was pretty vocal on the floor on Tuesday while GOP defended that 
their argument is that the governor needs to stop putting uh, activists as appointments in his administration. So let's take a listen. What is the end goal? What do we hope to accomplish by continuously rejecting high-level, cabinet-level appointments? Is it to create chaos? Is it to build a form of distrust between one another? Is it an attempt to cripple government? The decision we're going to make today impacts the people you and I represent because it sends a signal. It sends a signal. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter your qualifications. What matters is the political party and who appointed you. Commissioner Hebner has had a lot of opportunity to speak with members in this body. He's had a public hearing to defend his choice on moving forward with income-based rates when the statute is clear that they have no authority to do so. When asked if he had statutory authority to do so, not just by me, not just in the public hearing, not by other colleagues and members, his answer was unclear. That is a problem. Taking and using the position uh, as a commissioner is a problem when you're using that position to be an activist. All right, moving on to our last two topics, we're going to highlight what's to come next week. And we're going to start with Tuesday because Governor Evers will be delivering his State of the State address. So that will be on Tuesday at 7 p.m. You can watch it on Wisconsin Eye, who will be streaming it. We'll also be covering it, of course, JR. Likely themes. Um, I mean, my big guess is going to be child care. We can find compromise on possible education. But what's going to be important here is that the timeline is windowing. Lawmakers want to wrap up by March. Senate, I hear, is going to have one like big session day and the second week in March. You know, time's running out almost to get a lot of things done. But we even heard from Speaker Voss. He has quite a lot of tasks that he liked to get done. Senate has this tax plan. So we'll see. Governors often use election year state of states to set up a kind of the narrative or try to set the narrative for the election that fall. So what are we trying to do? All right. And also next week on Monday, Vice President Kamala Harris will be in Waukesha. She's kicking off her reproductive rights tour. And it was originally heard that she was going to be in Madison, but it pivoted to Waukesha. And, JR, I think I believe that's probably no accident, mm-hmm. given how the abortion issue has really resonated with a lot of Democrats, but also has been really a toss-up for a lot of suburban moms. So that's one of these wow counties. So that's probably why I'm assuming maybe it was shifted there. Uh, but it's definitely an issue that's going to be hitting hard the Biden campaign over the next few weeks. Seeing the governor's speech, studying narrative of the election, all about abortion. Donald Trump looks like the very powerful position to be the nominee for Republicans. He appointed the three justices who helped overturn Roe v. Wade. They're going to hammer on him from that from now until November. Will also be interesting, while Kamala Harris is in the battleground state, Republicans will also be holding a public hearing. I believe it's at 1 p.m. You can also watch it here on Wisconsin Eye. On a new bill that was just introduced today that would ask voters about a 14-week abortion ban. This is something that Speaker Voss floated to many of uh, the Capitol Press Corps during his end-of-the-year interviews. So they're trying to ram through that effort pretty quickly here in the legislature. All right, let's get to stock picks this week. And rising is Rebecca Cook and Christina... Katrina, excuse me, Shanklin for the 3rd Congressional District. Yeah, so Tara Johnson, uh, former La Crosse County Board Chair, dropped out of the race late last week. Um, that basically makes a two-person count. There's another candidate in, but the focus is in on Cook from Eau Claire and Shanklin from Stevens Point. The question is, who can win La Crosse? Right, so you assume they each kind of have their home territory locked down. Katrina is a little bit farther out there, this kind of island that goes up to there. Um, can they 
get the resource, get up on TV and across, and be effective. Uh, no, no surprise, Christina Shanklin announced the endorsement of Steve Doyle this week, Democrat from Alaska. Um, I'm watching to see will Brad Paff or Ron Kind endorse. That'd be huge. But even if they get the resources to win that nomination, if there's no new map, this district is not a great territory for Democrats. It's not a foregone conclusion. But when Tony Evers won statewide by 3.4 percentage points, he won the third by 1,500 votes over Tim Michaels. Okay, Ron Johnson won by one point, won it by 5.7 points. This is a Republican-leaning district, and Derek Van Orden has lots of baggage. But in a 50-50 presidential race, it may be tough to beat him because of that dynamic. All right. And mixed this week is Governor Tony Evers. You looked into some of his financial reports. Look, I don't want to dismiss raising just less than $600,000. It's a lot of money. But the governor's raised lots, lots more in the past. There's been talk before about how the governor's not going to seek reelection in 2026. This is not going to tamp down that conversation. Okay. So the caveat is he can turn it anytime he wants to. He and Ben Wilker have been such phenomenal fundraisers. If they want to really raise a ton of money, they could do it, okay? The governor's also focused on other things. The ticket up and down in 2024 from the president's race on down. He's raising money for that, uh, helping the party raise He also doesn't have to go out. He's not going to go out there and make calls for funds and say, hey, give me money for my campaign when I might not actually run for election in 2026. So I don't say his campaign is on autopilot, but he can raise money through emails and everything else and do just fine with where he's at. And he's behind the clip where he was four years ago. So, yeah, he's, he's doing fine, but it's not going to knock down those, that conversation. Oh, by the way, this campaign manager is moving over the state party to focus on the executive director of the party during this cycle. Uh, no, she did the same thing four years ago, becoming the head of the kind of say the veto effort. She's going to say his campaign manager to put on two hats in this process, but all kinds of signs that they're not really focused on him in 2026. I'm sure he told the same thing to me earlier this month. Haven't decided yet. Right. Mm-hmm. So, okay, he hasn't decided. There's no rush to do it. There's also talk, maybe there'll be pressure on him to make a decision to run. Because if Joe Biden wins this fall, and this is a lot of ifs, so ifs, 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 ifs bear yeah. with me. But the party in part of the White House often struggles in midterm elections. 22 is an odd one, right? Abortion yes. drove that yes. in. Mm-hmm. But it's especially in the, the second term, that's a real tough one. An incumbent, two-term incumbent who's a proven fundraiser, that might be a big help. So that might be a pressure to, to run. Also, if there are new maps, that might be an incentive to, like, run again because the governor's played defense basically for five years. Mm-hmm. All right? Or goalie, as he says. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Trying to prevent them from getting to two-thirds majorities in election time, trying to knock down, trying to get something good out of, like, good for him. Maybe a new map and they could go, you know, I, I'd like to do this a little bit longer. So you never know, but the money basically says he's not putting all the tension on that, which you wouldn't expect necessarily. But, you know, four years ago, he's doing a little faster fundraising clip. For sure. All right, let's get to following this week is medical marijuana after Assembly Speaker Robin Voss said he's not going to make any changes to the proposal that we talked about last week. And that was because we heard from Senate Majority Leader Devin Lemahue he doesn't like a key provision of the bill, which would allow the state to run dispensaries instead of private entities. We've heard that from Robin before, right? Shared revenue. In May, we're done negotiating. In mid-June, totally different bill. I don't think there is the same passion in the Senate to pass this medical marijuana bill as it was a shared revenue deal, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to negotiate something. So Robin not only said that um, he's done negotiating, but if there are changes made, his caucus won't support the bill. 
I'm not sure that's true. Um, I think there are some members I've talked to in this caucus who don't like the bill as it is, but they need a lit piece thing. Mm -hmm. And the more this plays out, the more it sounds like this is a lit piece play, not an actual, honestly, goodness, this is going to become a, a law in Wisconsin. So look over the Senate. Uh, Mary Felskowski, we talked to us before, she's been the lead proponent of medical mar marijuana for a while now. She doesn't like the dispensary idea of state-run dispensaries. Um, you'd have five in a state of, what, five-some million people? Granted, there'd be a small number of people who could access yeah, medical marijuana. Yeah, only about 15 conditions could apply. Mm -hmm. But look how big the state is. Like, we're not all in southeastern Wisconsin. Where are you going to put a dispensary in Wausau? have people from Superior drive down, like, where are they going to be, right? They could easily go, you know, over the oh, border, too. where it's legal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I'm getting at there are all kinds of concerns about how this would be done. And if you don't have a passion advocate in the Senate saying, we're going to take this up and make, or make a run with it, how's it going to get done? Yeah, I, I asked Robin about that, too. Have you had any conversations with Senator Faustkowski? Like you said, it was her bill two years ago that received the first public hearing in a very, very long time in the Capitol on her medical marijuana bill, which is completely different than what the Assembly. He didn't really answer that question. He wants to have a on the floor by February so we could see a public hearing on this soon. Oh, by the way, Senator Falskowski, her office hasn't answered a lot of my questions. Are you maybe trying to work your own proposal? Um, so they haven't gotten back to me yet. I, I, I don't think that's the case, but if you don't have someone as a champion in the Senate, uh, who knows if this will even make it over there. But it will, if it does get on the floor, it's going to pass. Does it stall? Does it get out of, you know, we'll see from there. Yeah. New maps are probably coming, probably, mm -hmm. like, you know, the court could surprise us, U.S. Supreme Court step in. Yeah. But if you, you've had maps now for more than a decade for Republicans that have shielded them from being out of step with the public on certain issues, abortion's one, pot's another. If you're talking a 50-50 map, that changes quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Now, you might want to have a medical marijuana thing on your lip piece you can talk, talk to voters about. All right, sounds good. That will do it for this week. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Emily Fannin. And I'm J.R. Ross. We'll see you next week. This program was brought to you from the Margaret Farrell Studio. Rewind, your week in review, is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association, bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate.